0: This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric
1: Hughes. Thank you, Gertrude, and Ola, listeners. Welcome to Episode 45 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Hughes. This week brings a recorded live reading taken from the writing and publishing panel, organized and produced by Woodland Press back on October 23rd. Founded by F. Keith Davis, Woodland prides itself on publishing Appalachian based and authored literary works in both fiction and nonfiction. Often these take the form of their popular short story collections, such as the four volume Legends of the Mountain State series, their recent anthologies Mountain Magic, Spectres in Coal Dust, and the Dark Tales of Terror anthology, which, by the way, contains a story by yours truly. They're just as active in the nonfiction realm, publishing books on regional history, biographies, UFOs, and even the craft of writing itself. Woodland co-founder Michael Nost was awarded the 2010 Bram Stoker Award for the Writer's Workshop of Horror. This was a collection of essays on writing in the horror genre by notable authors such as Clive Barker, Joe R. Lansdale, F. Paul Wilson, Brian Keene, and one of the other panelists in today's recording, Jeffrey Fuller. Also on the panel, as you'll shortly hear, are Jeff's wife Karen Fuller, Woodland editor of Mountain Magic Brian J. Hatcher, Jason L. Keene, Frank Larnard, myself, and of course Michael Nost. This panel was presented at Taylor Books on Capitol Street in downtown Charleston. Taylor's an excellent bookstore that stocks not only titles by Woodland Press, but also West Virginia writers' own anthology, Seeking the Swan. Now, I should let you know that because Taylor Books is a very active bookstore and has its own coffee shop, there is some background noise to be heard on occasion. I've cleaned this up where I could, but there will be the occasional sounds of cash registers registering and espresso machines espressing. We now turn introductions over to Woodland Press editor, Michael Nost.
2: Shall we? We're going to do a panel on uh, writing and publishing, and uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to ask... Uh, We'll start with the beautiful one, (laughs) Jeff, and then his wife. (laughs) We'll start with her. Uh, What I want you guys to do is just tell who you are and then a little bit about your your writing career and uh, some of the stuff that you've been in, especially what's on the table or whatever. Okay.
3: Um, Well, my name is Karen Fuller, and I um, write actually write for the newspaper. I've been writing a a weekly column every Sunday for about 13 years. But in the past couple years I've gotten into writing short stories. Well, since I married Jeff, (laughs) I'm an editor, but I've gotten into writing short stories and I've got this recent love for flash fiction and horror. So I've been writing um, quite a bit of that lately. And I am in Mountain Magic. And I am in
2: uh, Dark tales of terror. I have a couple stories in
3: that, and I've got a story coming out in Family Circle in February. I write a lot of different things. I'm trying to write something in every single genre that exists. Science fiction cool. is my next.
2: Science say. fiction is yes, the next good. great. That's my
4: my first love. Jeff. My name's Jeff Fuller, and I get write in horror. I write under G. Cameron Fuller mostly because I do other things too and so I'm under Jeffrey C. Fuller in terms of other things and I thought well yeah maybe I'll do separate but um, I also like Michael mentioned uh, it, an early love of mine was horror and science fiction and uh, I uh, through various things got, got into writing some horror things and I've been in Legend of the Mountain State 1 and 4 and then this is the one I'm really proud of that Michael the uh, bomb Stoker for um, and uh, I like to say one of my fir- first loves was horror and science fiction and I realized that what I was a lot of what I was writing was horror although I wasn't thinking of it that way um, for instance I'm working on a true crime book about uh, two, a crime that occurred in Morgantown where two women got decapitated back years and years ago so I've been working with this detective on that and There are a lot of horror elements which I hadn't realized uh, when I started out, and a lot of things I've written have been horrific. These things are specifically uh, horror in the genre, but not 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 written horrifically. Not written (laughs) (laughs) horrifically. I try to avoid that. Well, I have a lot of that, but no one ever sees that. Um, And uh, I don't know that I essentially edit a lot of things and and teach writing and things like that.
2: And let me interject real quick, too. If you are an aspiring writer and you're looking for someone to be your second set of eyes, I know no one better than Jeff Fuller. Jeff, Um, I think, is is probably the best. And uh, before you leave, if you want to catch up with him, I'm sure he can give you information to contact and stuff like that. And he's sort of like a... uh, Uh, A manuscript doctor, so to speak. He is—he's excellent. Uh, You also worked with uh, Writer's Digest. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah.
4: I did that for a number of years. Had uh, I was, uh, we had a call. I was a contributing editor and was in there once every two or three issues about a thing they call Writer's Clinic, which is essentially showing how things can be fixed. Um, and then it had a bunch of articles in there about sudden fiction, short, short fiction, if any of you are familiar with that, uh, which can be done in any genre. It's just stories under 2,000 or 1,000 or 1,500 words, depending on who you ask about that.
2: Okay.
0: Eric? My name is Eric Fritchews. I've only got one story published with Woodland Press, and that's also in the Dark Tales of Terror uh, I've worked with uh, West Virginia Writers Incorporated, which is the state's largest uh, organization dedicated to writers in Appalachia and beyond. Um, I host a podcast for them called the West Virginia Writers Podcast, which you can find uh, at our website, uh, which we're also recording this panel for. Um, but beyond that, I've, I've the past couple of years I've been doing a lot of playwriting and just had one produced last weekend in Wheeling. So.
2: But we've been poking and prodding him to, to do more, though. <laughs> My name is Michael Knopf, and uh, I've been writing um, nonfiction, then I started writing fiction, uh, and I've pretty much been a part of everything on here except for the Mouth Magic, and it's the best thing on here, so. <laughs> um,
5: Thanks,
2: friend. <laughs> yeah, sure was me. Um, I. End- I enjoy writing and I enjoy editing. I enjoy uh, more of an anthologist than an editor. The collecting part, putting things together that I like. Um, Currently working on a novel, a Mothman novel, that will be coming out next year. Um, I do a lot of writing classes. I teach a lot of writing classes. Some are online, some are in person and And I've uh, got a quite, a few, quite a few things coming up down the pike in, in books and stuff, too.
4: Hi, my name's Jason L. Elkeen. I'm, I'm relatively young. I haven't been writing for a long time, maybe five years. Um, mostly short fiction. <coughs> I've got a story in Legends of the Mountain State 4 and Dark Tales of Terror with Woodland Press. Um, several stories published in different fiction magazines mostly horror macabre I've not a whole lot to say about me besides mm-hmm. <laughs> so Pot of Horror and uh, I do horror movies what do you do for, for the them
6: yeah.
4: review the horror movies so there's something I got over top oh, of I yeah. doing those yet yeah. that's yeah. true I, <laughs> yeah
6: Pot sure of Horror is saying. a uh, is a uh, a podcast uh, Mark uh-huh. Justice and they interview writers and they do reviews, you can find it on iTunes, you know, for Pot of Horror, or you can look <coughs> for it online. Was that HorrorWorld?
4: Yeah, HorrorWorld.org. Or of course, I've been on Pop, a couple Yeah, more than they,
7: I believe. <laughs> Frank? Well, I, I'm Frank Leonard. I am just one story where you guys are. Uh, if you're interested in writing, I'm just a baby writer just starting my career. Um, I'm a student at West Virginia State University, studying English, and um, it's uh, it's a blast to be a to be an author and and to uh, work on stuff and talk to people about it. Glad to be here. My name is Brian J.
6: Hatcher, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Welcome. Brian. Um, I've I've been writing for 20 years and uh, about 20 about 20 25 years, and uh, I've. Last five is when I really started to, to be published. Uh, I have stories. I think in pretty much all of, all of this, all of this here right now. Um, last, we'll just give you like the last two months worth of, bi- of biography for me. I have uh, stories in Legends of the Mountain State Four and Specters and Cold Dust. I'm a featured author in uh, The Midnight Diner Volume Three. Which is put out by Relief Journal, which is a collection of Christian horror stories, which is very interesting to write to that. I am in Bloodlight 2, Overbite, put out by Simon Schuster. I have a, that's a collection of, of uh, fiction, it's comedy with horror tropes, uh, which just came out. And I am the editor of uh, Mountain Magic. Uh, spellbinding Tales of Appalachia, featuring uh, authors from all over the world and from here as well, including Mr. Frank Lerner. Uh, I, have, uh, I do reviews for Shroud Magazine, and I have an interview with Norman Partridge, which will be coming out in uh, the 2010 Halloween issue, which is just now hitting the stand. So. And i uh, glad that everybody could make it today. All right.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about writing and talk a little bit about publishing. And I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you guys to just tell me what you think. Um, some of you have been writing a little bit longer than others. Like Frank was talking, he's kind of I'm young like a, at this. Like an infant writer. Um, some, of the, some of the old-timers that's been a- around for a while, and I dare not look at Karen when I say this, but... <laughs> Jeff, you've been doing it a while. You guys, what uh, do you think it's harder now to break into uh, a market than it was 10-15 years ago?
4: Well, that's a. There are different ways to look at that. There are a lot more publishing opportunities now than there is back sense in the small press level, in the uh, personal publishing level, all those things are much easier than they ever work, mostly because the technology has lowered the bar on the cost for things. So publishers can put out books and actually make a return that they could make 20 years ago. So in that sense, it's a lot easier now. In another sense, it's a lot harder now because in terms of the big publishers are much the mid-list, what's called the mid-list, which is again depending on twenty years ago that was twenty five thousand copies of a novel. Now it's thirty five or forty thousand copies of a novel. sold. the mid list is much harder to break into. They're pretty much ignoring a lot of the mid list stuff and they're publicizing things like, you know, authors like Stephen King and all that that would be a big return on. Them. And then big celebrity stuff where there will be a big return. So It's a lot harder than ever to break in with big publishers. Then again, on the easy side with small magazines, there's a lot more niche magazines. So a lot more things. I mean, there's a magazine called, I think it's called Holstein. It is all about the Holstein cow. And so if you have...
2: Not the heifer. (laughs) The Holstein.
4: Yeah, not not just any cow. So a lot of niche magazines, there's a lot of them, and often they
6: don't pay very much, but there's a lot more. Lens.
4: Yep.
2: Good. Brian, what do you think?
6: Well, I mean, this—I mean, it does go back that um, it, it is a lot easier now with what they call print-on-demand, where costs have come down, and it's—and e- it's—it it makes it—it it makes it easier for small press publishers to put things out because they're—if you do—if you do POD, you don't have to print. 5,000, 10,000 copies of something and store it in a a warehouse. You can just put a book out there, and as you get orders, you can have them print 10, 20 copies. So in some aspects, that can can make some of the smaller publishers maybe a little more willing to, to try somebody who's new because they don't have as much overhead. At the same time... Because it's so much easier, that means that you anybody sitting out here, you could get you a free website and call yourself a publisher. You know, just put just put up a free website and say you're taking submissions and, and you can print books. I mean, anybody could could be a publisher. And going and uh, you know, the internet is still the wild west out there. There are a lot of people who are calling themselves publishers that are no more than a free website and they're. And an email address to take submissions. Doug Winner said that anybody can get published. In fact, you don't even have to go to a publisher. You can go to Lulu.com yourself and send them the manuscript, and they'll they'll bind it in a book for you, as many copies as you want. You can sell them on the trunk of your car if you want. Anybody can get published. The important is be published well, which means that when you're submitting to to markets, don't say to yourself, "Well, I'm I'm new. I'm, these bigger markets aren't going to be interested in me." I need to st- I need to set my bar low. No, always find the best markets. Always submit to the best markets at the beginning. From from right out now, you're going to get a lot of rejections. Yes, we still get rejections. You know I have, you know I have a do- about a dozen stories out there, and I still get rejections. Two years ago, Stephen King got a rejection from the New Yorker. He still gets rejections. Ray Bradbury still gets rejections. Don't be afraid of rejections, but but say to you, you know. Promise yourself that you're going to publish well. Research your markets. Put yourself in the. Always submit your stuff to the best markets with the with the best uh, that, that pay the best, and work your way down. Don't start at the bottom and and you know and be satisfied with that. Always always start at the top, because even if even if uh, an editor isn't you know takes a pass on one of your stories, they start recognizing the name. And after a while, they begin rooting for you. Oh, oh, I remember that from the last one. I hope this one works. Because, because understand. And this, I've said this. I've said this to a lot of new writers. And let me just say this to you now: If you want to be a pro, an absolute working pro, the one thing you've got to get into your mind right now, that and if you do this, this will separate you from the rest of the herd. Editors are not your enemies. This is not a game where it's you against the editor. Where you're trying to get past them and get into their magazine. Once you realize that they're there to help you, that that you guys are working for the same thing, which is to get the best work that you can that you can put out there in front of people. Once you realize that that you guys are really playing on the same side, then you can start getting that pro attitude that will that will help you take your writing to the next level.
4: Okay. Sure. What Brian says is right, uh, one thing I wanted to do, just because I this uh, a particular bug to be a couple of information work. First of all, POD, ground demand, is a technology. It's not a, it's not a, some thing, magic way to get a book out there. Right. And it doesn't, it's not actually cheaper than standard printing, unless you're getting, um, you know, a certain amount of copies made. So it is actually more expensive. It's, it's cheaper in the sense that, a hunt for a, You can print 20 copies instead of 1,000, so it's cheaper in that sense, but your unit cost, your per book cost is a lot higher, so that's one thing. The second thing is these large publishing like Lulu, Publish America, Ex Libris, all those kind of internet places, they don't, for the most part, offer you much for the money, okay? So there are, because the technology is available to all of us, you can usually get Half or a third of the cost to get the same thing done. They're not. They tell you. One person said to me once. Oh well, they'll market. And I said, No, they have They just put you up on a website. I can do that. That's not. You know, this is not uh, brain surgery anymore. Publishing is really very simple. So anyway, just caution. If you approach those places, just keep in mind that they're going to charge you a lot more money. For yeah. To but, uh, and
2: and to follow up a little bit on what Brian said too uh, Brian mentioned sending your stuff to the biggest uh, and I agree with that but the one thing that you want to do is you want to be able to target not just the bigger just because they're the biggest but you do want to be paid for it and, and so and the reason I say this is my first book um, was published because after I was finished writing it it took me nine months to go through a uh, one of the writers' market guides. Nine months, I took that. That's all I did. Studied it, and I wrote notes for every publisher that was in there. And I ranked the top ten. And in and, and what I did was I ranked them according to <coughs> the book and the publisher of what kind of a relationship would they make? Would they be a good fit? And so I decided I would send it to the first publisher. When they reject it, I'll send it to the second one, and so forth. And uh, I was very fortunate that the first publisher I sent it out to, they bought it. And I I credit that to taking nine months of preparing before I even mailed it out and knowing where it was going. Was it a monster publisher? No, it was still a small press, but I'm still getting paid to this day for for it. So uh, what I... I'm agreeing with what Brian says, but what I'm, what I'm saying is don't get your sights set on, I'm going to send this out to Simon & Schuster or I'm going to send this out to you know the very biggest name first, whereas you may write on a certain subject or a genre that may not even fit them. Yeah. You've got to find the fit with your book or your project and the publisher and make sure. And all you have to do is go look at their catalog and see what they're publishing, what they're currently doing. Yeah. And the more that you can do that, the the better off. And the writer market guides, they'll tell you what percentage uh, of first time writers that they're 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 willing to publish. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of information there that can help you.
0: Um, there There are some ways that people, some writers have found to kind of go up the stream uh, when it comes to getting published. They go directly to the audience that they're seeking, and then the publisher finds them later. Uh, new media such as podcasts and the internet have offered lots of opportunities. There's a, a gentleman named Scott Sigler, who's a New York Times best-selling art, author of horror and sci-fi novels, who started doing basically audio books of his material as podcasts for free, and would just put it out on iTunes. People would download it. He built up a fan base and then got signed with uh, a publisher because of that. So
2: because of numbers. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're We're not, not going to
0: and there's, there's a whole podcasting community online for, for fiction and these aren't even people with broadcasting backgrounds they're just it's very cheap to, to put these things together that's so one,
3: that's one thing you hear about now all the time is platforming mm-hmm. what kind of platform does a writer have Do you've people yeah. who have been reading
2: you for a while let's talk about that let's talk about the platform Um ninety seven. how important do you think that is right now I think it's I think it's very important I think that more publishers right now care more about how you can sell the book more so than you know really what the project is Uh, because you've, you've seen it before as well it may pass through the editorial standards and then the marketing department may say we can't we can't do anything with this and so it becomes a little frustrating but at the same time it's a little understanding Uh, right now there are more people wanting to be writers than ever before and so that means that there's more competition than ever before and so how can you separate yourself from everyone else and that comes down to platform I guess Uh, and how does that, you you, you brought it up so talk a little bit about it
3: uh, a couple years ago, Jeff and I took um, Scott Hoffman from Folio Management to lunch, and um, he was talking about how important it is to have, you had to have, you could show them that you were bringing something to the table besides your book, and when I told them that you know, where I've been writing for years, and and people in this area were kind of familiar with my name. That's the kind of platform, because that sort of guarantees you're going to get some people to buy your book. There's going to be some discussion of your book. You can promote your book in ways that other writers couldn't. And he also was talking about how important having a gimmick for a book was. Something (coughs) that you could almost sell alongside. And I, I, I hate to even talk about what mine was, but... the the job. I just had this idea for a book that I've been working on (laughs) for. Well, I've been talking about for a while, but I don't seem to write much. But when I discussed that it it had like a little gimmick idea and it was kind of strange and involved like a a scavenger kind of trip. Um, He loved the idea because you could be promoting the book and have an item, too, that made it strange and that people might want to do. It was like a, a weird vacation idea. And he so said if you can come up with something that makes your book strange which you know you sound like you're, you're ready for that <laughs> you can come up with something that's a little bit different than everybody else's book they love that. if you can actually finish it that
5: you
2: know comes to you anybody else
6: well as far as I guess on, on the thing on, on the platform on getting yourself out there and I say this to a lot of new writers, uh, <clears throat> the Internet can be a blessing and a curse. It can be a blessing because you can, uh, through social social networking, websites, Twitter, you can get your name out there and you can reach an awful lot of people. And
2: that can be a good thing or a bad thing, that too. That can be a
6: good thing or a bad thing. Um, because if, if you turn if you're out on the Internet being a squealing idiot... And getting into flame wars with people—that that, that isn't—that's not going to help you sell your book. Quite the opposite. You know? It's going to—I mean—you're you get to be in everybody's uh, living room in the world on the internet. So think of yourself. Uh, think of yourself as, as 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 a product in a sense. When you're when you're out, the uh, the way that you express yourself on the internet, people are going to know. And even if that web page goes away, it doesn't really go. away. I mean, something that's on the internet now is going to be there forever. And I have seen so many writers, and really good writers, who have sabotaged themselves because they've gotten into some pointless flame war with some some 10-year-old kid on a website. Like, who cares? Or on a message board. Who cares? You know? You know, it's... I mean, think about yourself on this. Put yourself... Always put yourself in you know, the best foot forward, however you, whatever you do online, because again, that's that's you know that's what people are going really to see out there. And if they, and if it, you know, like I say, you know, the internet can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, but it's how you it's how how you put yourself out there. You know, it's what it maybe the only thing people will see of you or know of you before they see your book. So.
2: And a good good platform. Uh, good ideas for platforms I'll give you a a friend of mine who last year wanted to write a book and I think uh, he was wondering if he should or not and when I started talking to him about it I thought you know you you of all people should do one because he wrote a column for uh, a newspaper he's a pastor of a church, large church out of state he does a television program for one of the Christian major Christian radio stations. So he's a host on there, and he does a radio program every week. So he has a built-in audience like crazy. I mean, from every aspect: newspaper, television, radio, you know, the church community. And so, that's one thing that if you if you have those things, put them in your query letter. Put them in in your. Uh, uh, not synopsis but your
3: promotional uh, yeah your
2: promotional yeah well whatever you're putting whenever you're trying to uh, book proposal the query goes first and then from that you want to let them know the the, the strengths that you can bring other than I'm a great writer uh, you want them to be able to see I've worked in radio for twenty years. <clears throat> so I have a lot of people in the industry that I know and I can go on the air if 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 I'm gonna do a book signing in Kansas I have friends in Kansas I can say, Hey, I'm gonna be in Kansas, do you mind if I go on the air? You know, and, and by the time I get there people are waiting, you know, because not because of my strength so much, but as because of networking with those other people. If you have those things in place, that is a great platform to be able to, to use and to be able to talk about will go a long way.
3: It's kind of strange that writing has evolved like that. It's almost like people that used to write didn't matter if they could speak in front of an audience. The people that used to sing didn't matter what you looked like in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But now it's all, you have to be willing to stand up and promote your book. Yeah.
5: It's
2: true. Uh, and, and I think the reason is, is because... Uh, more of the books that sell so well are the ones that are marketed really well the Stephen King's and so forth and those are the ones that the, the publishing company are going to put any money at all into the promotions in those bigger things so the more that you can do the, the better off you're going to be and it's going to help those numbers the second book is always by the way the hardest one to sell the second book is the one that's really going to be tough for you because believe it or not, there's something on here called an ISBN number. And that ISBN number, if let's say for instance, with, with any of the books that I've done, uh, let's say a fictitious number of 5,000 copies were, were printed up. And selling through means uh, we've sold nearly 5,000 books. That means that it, it was it sold through. Let's say, for instance, this one only <coughs> sold 100 copies. That was a fail. Huge total fail. Now, this book, book wasn't, I'm just saying. Um, the problem is, is, is the publisher will look at you if you come back with another manuscript and say, I want to be published again, they're going to laugh at you. But nowadays, because of the technology, not only will they laugh at you, but any other publisher will be able to look up that ISBN number and know what it has done. So your first book has to come out I mean like a skyrocket and you have to be able to show that you are you're strong. Because if now if they published five hundred books and you sold five hundred books against someone else selling five thousand books that were fifteen thousand books were printed up, you still did better because it's a ratio. Yeah, it's a ratio thing. So um that's the reason why it's so important for us to 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 get so involved in the marketing and get so involved with with that <coughs> of it as well. Let's talk about writing. do you have any questions as far as writing goes?
5: How did your life change once you won the Award?
2: How did it change? Yeah, I
5: mean was we're, we're you know did the doors magically fly open?
2: No, the doors didn't magically fly open, but the um, the doors didn't close whenever I went to them. And uh, uh, I've had a few offers. I've actually got a couple of agents now, yeah. uh, especially one in the, uh, the UK who does the foreign rights uh, stuff right now. Um, but the award itself, I think... Uh, to me is more of a personal pride, knowing that what I bled literally on the cover <laughs> 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 what I put together uh people like Clive Barker and people like you know uh, all these other people who who voted for it, thought it was good enough to to win such mm-hmm. an award, and to me that means more than anything um
6: uh, well, Clive Barker said that he wished that that uh, horror, that horror writers had that book ten years ago. Uh-huh.
2: But the 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 whole the whole thing as far as the, the award goes, how it has changed me, um, I guess it has opened doors, um, but at the, at the same time, if I was to turn in a manuscript that was not where it should be. I don't think that it would matter. I think that they would reject it.
7: Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the worst thing you want is to have a piece of work out there that you're not happy with, that isn't up to standards, because it's going to be out there forever, and if somebody reads it and they don't like it, then they're not going to pick up anything else. So if if you do get a rejection letter, you shouldn't be upset. You should be like, I'm so glad (laughs) that this didn't get out there, and then I can go back and work on it. I can strengthen it. I'll give you a good
2: example of that Uh, in in the first Legends of the Mountain State book I have a friend who was nominated for the Bram Stoker Award at that time I was with her at a writer's convention somewhere and I asked her if she would write a story for it and she did and she sent it to me and it was atrocious and she's a great writer and I've I've struggled with it for a long time and I sent her an email and I said you know I can't publish this I said I'm, I'm sorry I said uh, you know I don't know what to tell you <laughs> because I didn't want to hurt her feelings or anything like that and she is a very good friend and she's a great writer and she was fine with it and then I moved on and about I think about three or four months later she sent me an email and she said I just want you to know I just, just now reread the story that I sent you Thank you for not <laughs> publishing it. And so uh, I have stories out from many years ago that I wish had never been published. And I dread the day someone drags them out and finds them or, or whatever. Uh, so where Brian talks about being published well, that is the, the most important thing is making sure that, and be, be ready for it. It's a time process to become a writer. Yeah. You don't just start and say, "I'm going to be a writer" and start today. It's going to take you at least five years to hone your your skills to to get publishable. Yeah. And that doesn't and mean that's, you're going and to that's be great.
6: Five, and, and, and that to qualify that five years, that's five years if you're writing every day, mm-hmm. um, which is very important. You know, you should you should be writing ser- at least several times a week, sitting down, even if it's. Even if it's for 30 minutes and you get out 50 words, if you can do that as many days as possible, because it's just like you know, if you go to the gym once a month, it's like you never win at all. And it's the same thing with writing. If you pick up writing and you you may write, you know, you, one day a month, you you sit down, you take a day, you have your Sunday, and you write for eight hours once a month. You, you never get you never get up to speed. You never, you never do. You, you'll never get that. Um, I mean, honestly, it, if you were to if you take six days a week and you write ten minutes a day, you'll get more done than if you take one day and write maybe six or seven hours in one, in one shot. You know, if, if you make it a daily, if you can make it a daily habit, then you start building those skills that will help you get to that next level of publishing. But it's it's just you know, again, it's sitting down and doing it and doing it consistently and and disciplining yourself to. To, to carve out those, those, those bits of time. Whatever you can get,
3: you know. Yeah, uh, well, on that same line, when somebody starts, like you don't run a marathon as your very first race. You start out with you know, building up your, your strength. And so many people start writing by taking on a novel. And it's like, it, it just seems like, well, you figure out how to write a short story first and you figure out how to write tight and quick and what to leave out with the unimportant things are you know you build up to writing something as long as the novel but it just seems like you know so many people say you know they just jump right in with the novel and that just to me I mean I, I still haven't completed one I've been writing 20 years <laughs> yeah.
2: I think a lot of it has to do with, with uh, it's that naive kind of thinking you know because every one of us have, have talked to someone at a party or somewhere and they say you know uh, I've been thinking about writing a novel you know i think I'm gonna when I retire I'm gonna you know and, and you're like okay well no. it's not, <laughs> not, <laughs> not <laughs> quite that easy the you know. Black story. yeah yeah oh, even yeah. with a doctor there's not like, yes. somebody
6: who's a brain surgeon says I'm gonna retire and become a novelist he goes what a coincidence I'm thinking of retiring and becoming a brain surgeon yeah <laughs>
2: which which actually if you think about it it, it it's it's it holds as much yeah. water because there's there's as much to being a writer, you know. I, I learn every day,
7: every oh, yeah. single
2: day. I learn, and and to, when I get to the point that I think that I can't learn anymore, shut me off, turn it off because it's over.
7: Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, but it, it's an ever increasing, you know, level of learning something, and and I enjoy going back and still learning the the remedial stuff and and the the basics because. Every time that I go over them and teach, whenever I teach the classes, it helps me, you know,
6: as well. But that's what's great about it. I mean, if you could, if, if writing, if you could spend a year studying it and you're like, oh, I know everything about it, why why would you do it then? You know, if it were just that easy.
7: I kind of always assumed that, you know, if you can talk, you can write, you know, and it would it would just be that easy, you know, just to be able to sit down and, and have it pour out. But it, it, it is really a craft and it, to be able to do it and do it well I mean anybody can make a chair I mean you can go out and find some sticks and, and put something together and you might even be able to sit in it without it collapsing but it's not going to be comfy and it's not going to be relaxing and it's not and it's the same thing with writing that if, if you don't take the time to learn the craft and and learn the, the fundamentals to make the story then it's not going to be worthwhile it's just going to fall apart
0: and a major factor I've found um, is having someone teach you how to make the chair Mm-hmm uh, having a group of writers that you're with um, I know Karen and Jeff have been involved in writers groups in the Charleston area people that
2: you know have made a few chairs in their day yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. not <laughs> just somebody else that is
7: trying to learn at the same time and they will love to help you too sorry I mean, you know. I'm oh you? yeah absolutely. go
0: ahead oh but just, just a, a writers group preferably with people in there who are better than you who have, have been there can tell you where your dialogue is feeling less than fresh um, or, or less than natural um, and, and people who will give you deadlines for finishing your work I find that I, I have to have a deadline almost to finish a short story and fortunately I'm in an area actually I'm no longer in the area where um, I, I used to live in Lewisburg where a writer named Belinda Anderson um, has regular writer's workshops and uh, I moved to the Princeton area <coughs> and so when she's doing her workshops I commute an hour and a half because I know I'll get a, at least one short story out
3: Yeah, I don't know. There's a contest that I'm doing right now that I'm participating in, not posting. But every month they send out, and I love, this is like the greatest contest at, it's a whole bunch of initials. If somebody wants to know, I can email it to them. But they, it's a flash fiction contest, and they send you, um, Friday night at midnight, you get the genre, the setting, and an item. And you have 48 hours to come up with a story. And it is the greatest contest. You have to pay 30 bucks to be in it. I've come up with, I have now three new stories. I'm getting into like the final rounds where we're like whittling down you know, so you don't have, you're not competing against 500 people. Now it's down to 100. But I mean, it has been the best thing because 48 hours. That's why I wasn't at the booth much last weekend because last weekend was the, app, the, the contest. And it was like all I could think about, I was obsessed with it, was it like, not enough. and I've like been so charged up all week because I got this one done and then like on Wednesday you we post it on their, their website, and people critique it. And the critiquing suggestions have been wonderful. I'm like all charged up it's like having that deadline, I have to have a deadline. I guess, you know, years of having a weekly deadline can't produce without it. But then the competition, I, don't know, I have to have a competition. And it,
2: it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't get any better either because whenever you start having success, you really do have deadlines. And, oh yeah, like, and you don't... All my stories. You don't just... Them. You just don't...
4: another side effect.
2: Not not you've always met them, though. <laughs>
4: <laughs> another side effect of something like that competition is that she's getting... So far, she's got three possibly marketable stories... And gonna, I don't know how many well, I've six actually, rounds
3: or something. Um, five rounds. Um, five rounds. But the first story I was a um, romance genre, and so I had a thousand word romance, which I don't really write. And but Women's World Magazine buys fifty two romances a year; they pay eight hundred dollars a story. I send it off to them, and they still have it, so they're considering it. Mm-hmm. So you sure. know, for this thirty dollar entry fee, I may end up selling a eight hundred dollar story. And then the one I wrote last weekend, I've already submitted two places. So I'm really big on setting stuff out. And then, let it
2: come And then later, you may end up putting together a collection of your stories and sell them, and and you have a great set of uh, stories there.
7: I think that that's a really great point because there there are all kinds of opportunities for writers, in, in all sizes of stories. You know, um, there's there's one I'm submitting for that's 500 words, which is a page basically, but they have deadlines and they have ideas of what they're looking for and it challenges you uh, instead of, you know, just like, oh, I'm going to write something that, that I think people might like. You're actually writing for a specific purpose with a deadline and a lot of times the ideas that they have will stir you creatively and allow you to grow and then by the time you're done you got a brand new story and you're good to go.
4: Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if anyone hears from the duotrope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I know all you guys are, but I don't know about these three. That's an online... Uh, Reviews. They they're always asking for money. is a good thing to do because keep it free. But they are a great uh, condensation of the markets and anthologies. Th- anthologies. And just I was just looking at it this morning, and I'm thinking I went to this one thing on Short Shorts, and I thought maybe I'll send these people I'll write something just to fit them. And it's a great place to get. Just
5: podcasts. spell that.
4: D u o t r o p e.
2: So let's 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 talk a little bit about the breaking into the market um, and, and talking about duo trope. One thing I do like about them, if you're trying to break into a market, uh, and maybe not just a market, but let's say for instance you've written a, a horror short story, and you know that it's five thousand words, and let's say for instance it's written with a western background or a you can go to duotrope and you can put all those things in and it will give you all of the markets
4: yeah.
2: within that so it, it will it will kind of pinpoint exactly what you're looking for and not you know for the love or whatever
6: yeah
2: and Cause another, you and another
6: good thing it'll do is you can look through some markets and you may see you may see markets of, of fiction that you may never heard before you might go through and say what in the world is steampunk? You know, and then you do a, you do a little bit of research. You're like, that's kind of cool. I'd like to write something like that. You know? I just
3: discovered that. I've just been fascinated. Steampunk. I've
6: never even heard
3: of
2: steampunk. Where a lot of people they'll they'll uh, yeah. discover it and they'll say, I've been writing this for years.
6: Yeah. <laughs> it's like I I didn't know there was a market for this. I've got it, we've got it. <laughs> okay, steampunk is like steampunk is basically take science fiction, uh, stick it in Victorian England, and make everything out of brass. Well, yeah, that's kind <laughs> of. Remember the TV show Wild Wild West? Yeah. Oh yeah. That kind of had that kind of had that feeling. I mean, so it's, like, way it's we, modern yeah. it's modern technology driven by steam and coal and. There's, there's,
2: there's another place called Raylan dot com. It's not as good as Duotrope, but it it is good. Yeah. R A L A N Dot com.
4: And it will give you markets in uh, a lot of different places. This guy who is attributed to the steampunk and also cyberpunk, coined the term cyberspace. Uh, yes. I've heard rumors that he's a West Virginia boy, that he spent some time in Clarksburg as a kid. Uh, is this guy here? So. William Gibson, yes. And he is he's an incredibly good writer. You don't read science
7: fiction the writing is excellent right. so But when you go to duotrope, you'll see um, anthologies and and presses that are publishing things that you never thought of, and they will stir your imagination so much. I mean, every time I go through there, I, I see something. I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd really like to write something for that. That that sounds really interesting. A
3: zombie Christmas. Movie. Yeah,
2: yeah. Have,
7: like, yeah, really yeah it just, oh yeah, so and it'll just totally start bringing up images in your mind. It's it's so much fun. And
2: it, like Appalachian oh. magic and stuff. Yeah, yeah. who would have
7: <laughs> thought?
6: <had laughs> <it>? Well. <laughs> And, and the nice thing about Duotrope for me was I, I was able to get submissions from Canada from Great Britain I have a poem in here from the Czech Republic one of the most beautiful Appalachian style poems you can imagine from the Czech Republic but uh, so I mean it, it does I mean it does allow you to, to Duotrope does allow you to see a lot of different markets and to, you know and, and, and again you know it's not going to be a replacement for you doing your homework I mean if you see a market in duotrope that you think it interests you, you know, go to their website, you know, see, uh, get an idea of, you know, what are they, what have they done before, um, you know, so, you know, and and I, and I tell this to writers also. If you get kind of a, a weird feeling about a publisher, don't just assume, don't just assume it's because you're uh, you're a newbie and you just don't know what's going on. If you if you know if you something feels kind of off to you, you know. Be willing to you know to to look into it you know you know you might very very often you may be right you know but but again you know there are there are markets out there that are are new don't don't just dismiss them because I mean one of the first stories I submitted was to you know Legends of the Mountain State which was the best thing that ever happened in my career but at the time it was this was a guy that I barely knew editing an anthology from a you know, from a, a local company that I had no idea who they were. I'd never heard of Woodland Press before. And I thought, well, you know, how what, what, You know, it's like it'd probably be a regional market, but you know, no more than that. And of course, this is you know, these books are now worldwide. You, you came know? on board because
2: the editor was so good looking. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Absolutely,
6: and okay. he was a great roommate. As, a, as an
4: addendum <laughs> here. I don't want We're talking about horror and speculative fiction and things like that, but I don't want to give—I don't want you to give a, have the impression that trope is only for that. It's—it's right. markets yeah. all kinds. Yeah. Oh yeah. So even if you're not interested in those at all. Oh yeah. It's—it's it's all there. So.
6: And you should absolutely investigate um, other—you um, know—other markets, because there, even if you think you would never write for them, sometimes there's a lot of cross-marketing stuff. I can tell you, F. Paul Wilson. Who writes the Repairman Jack series? You know, which is uh, he's sort of like a Mister Fix It. You know, he's like a one-man A-team you call in when something supernatural's happened, right? His biggest market and where he got a lot of his readers was going to the Romance Writers Association. (coughs) Somebody told me he said you need to go to you need to go to the Romance Writers and set up a table, and he's like, but I, I I don't write romances. He goes, trust me, and he shows up there and people bought his books, people love them. and romance readers, they get a name of somebody they like, and they buy everything they write. They mm-hmm. buy a blog, Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, they absolutely well, do. Let's, uh
5: what's what Yeah. What can, because I'm coming as a public librarian, okay? uh uh-huh. um, How about public library readings?
7: Those work for you all? Yeah, we do anything we can to promote. Yeah, yeah. I,
6: I did. As a matter of fact, I did a uh, I did a reading for, for the public library, and I mean, it, like I say, it can be a, a mixed bag. Sometimes you can have a you can have a good I mean, turnout or. Uh, right.
5: I mean, I, I know that you can have two people there if you're lucky, and then you can have a whole room. I mean, it's that's, yeah. it's no, wait, no,
6: that's no, no, no. rock. So. Yeah. I so mean, ahead. but the thing is, you know, when I when I do something like that. Um, you know it, yeah it could be a room full of people it Could be two people uh-huh. but if they film me at both of those I don't want them to be able to tell the difference you know to me I, my readings are the same whether it's two people or a room full of people you know? and I'm, I'm glad to reach those two people yeah. absolutely okay, you know, so they, they took their time to come out and see me the one person took the time to come out and see me you know, know they deserve you know the, my gratitude certainly but absolutely the best uh, you know the best reading that I can that I can give to them you know and I you know I do every you know every time or, or, or a book sign mm-hmm. we're there we're there to you know to be accessible to readers we're there to help bookstores You know, so
5: what public libraries do you all want to also do book signings and sellings
3: we live around here. So we're I, oh, I know, yeah, I'm,
5: I'm just saying for overall the state, for various public libraries, if they say, hey, come in, do you all want not only to do readings, but do you all want to sell the books to and sign books?
2: No, I do, I do quite a bit, Now I, I, I even actually uh, taught a class here at the one here, and actually I've taught it, Maybe five different ones in the Kanawha right, system, yeah. right. and I also <clears throat> do the same for several others in the Logan area, mm-hmm. and Chapmanville, and Man, and different places. Um, <coughs> sometimes, it, as far as the selling of the books, comes a little difficult, and, you, and it's, it, um, it depends on the, the the library for one thing. Uh, sometimes it can be a little tough. Uh, but again it doesn't, not that's not really what matters uh, what matters is going and, and doing that for the library and helping with them um, I've found if you take care of the library they'll take care of you yeah, and, and that's one thing that uh, as far as getting extra sales doesn't matter as much as being able to go and work with them and to be able to build a relationship with more people that you've never been able to like Brian said you know you're reaching out to one individual well, I, at a time you know
5: I know Cavill County Kanawha County They're the big library systems, and they're they're more open to that. But we have so many rural libraries in the area; they're always hungry for some kind of program. So workshops seem like they draw more
3: people than anything.
5: They always
2: do. The ones that I've I've been a part of, uh, I've had practically packed out rooms with you know the, the.
3: People, like or so at your or to because I no. didn't, okay, no. I didn't think that, because I was thinking about transferring to
4: like a big school like in New York so I could like look good so no. 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 would be an advantage of being in New York new you So German you're German
2: wanting to move French. to New York is what it is. Yeah, okay. Well yeah, <laughs> yeah
4: you should also yeah. understand that. You get involved in publishing circles in New York, um, there are some jobs to do that. They're very competitive. They pay yeah. nothing. And almost all the people get, especially young women, this is how they work. They hire a lot of young women to be acquisitions, editors, first readers. They pay them very little and they all, they're all waitresses because it's so expensive. So, uh, I had a friend, Rachel, I, don't, I know you know Rachel yeah, yeah. she started with Writer's Digest in Cincinnati, she's from Cincinnati, and then after working there for a couple of years, she did, she, she's now a polio, she's an agent of polio, literary management or something like that. And that's, in some ways, a much smarter way to go about it rather than plunking yourself down in the middle of New York because um, yeah. just, it's so very competitive there. But if you're a venue you like Writer's Digest, you, you have a chance to meet all those people without actually having to put up with New York life. Um, if you wanted New York, well, for some other reasons, there's lots My brother was yeah, so he's also, he's, he's, he's,
3: there's always like a back door into where you want to go. And a lot of times, there's not as many people trying to get in that way. So, you know, I was already working at the newspaper when I became columnist. You know, the opportunity came while I was already there. And so there's like a lot of times that if you're, you put you yourself in the places that, I don't know, you can sneak in. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ways you can get into film Without being in New York
2: or California. I'll tell you the biggest way is networking. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you're if you're writing in the horror genre, go to every convention that you can find that's near you that have yeah. uh, horror, you know, people, and and that's where you're going to end up meeting yeah. all of the people that that you need. Uh, rather than living in New York or wherever, yeah. and
6: uh, you don't have to go to New York to go to those conventions. No, there's um, Context is a great writers convention that does horror, fantasy, and science fiction. They're in Columbus, Ohio. You know, so they just it's just uh, three, you know three, yeah. four-hour drive away, and, and you're there, and and you know New York Times best-selling authors are just walking the halls, and we'll you know you know
4: so. And a piece of advice someone gave me years and years ago that was very helpful because I didn't realize things work this way is be nice to everyone you meet in the publishing industry because the guy bringing coffee now is an acquisitions editor in two years and a lead editor in four years. So it's a very fluid yeah. industry and there's all kinds of people moving this way and that way and they we're constantly moving around. So uh, you know always I mean, I'm sure you would do that anyway, but always you want to be. You know, respectful and professional and polite to everybody because they can
2: be very helpful it's, it's, it's funny because uh, I've had before before Legends of the Mountain State came out I've, I was published under another name with four or five other books but before that came out uh, there were some people that treated me like you know uh, not great but you know not horribly bad either but all of a sudden once they found out that I was an editor and I was putting these kinds of things together all of a sudden they were became really close friends and so forth and uh, uh, and you could see what they were doing and so yeah. be nice oh, to everyone <laughs> <into>
3: you.
2: <laughs> you hear me Keith
7: Davis <laughs> if,
3: um, facial hair requires a writer
7: I think it helps. You write so much you don't have time to shave. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Wait, I have facial hair? We know that you're right.
2: Well, according to, our, uh, according to our work, the best is you, so mm-hmm. I would say we should all shave. Yeah.
6: Starting with our legs, out. Yeah. yeah. But you know, acquisition, yeah, if you can get a job as an acquisition reader for, for anybody, that's... Even if you all you want to do is be a writer, that that's a great little lesson because I guarantee you, after you've read the fiftieth story of a character looking in a mirror and describing describing themselves, you probably won't ever do that.
2: You know. Being so, a slush reader will help you, you know, uh, yes. see the bad things. It's easier to find somebody else's mistakes mm-hmm. than what it is to see your own at first. Oh, no.
6: Yes. Whenever I do slush reading and I'm going, I'm seeing a lot of this kind of thing and then I go to my story and say, Oh, there it is <laughs> Yep. I will tell you this, and I know that it that a lot of people they, they, they think of how many writers are out there and it's like it just seems daunting me there's all these people that are doing it but if you but if you put a story in the proper format and you send the story to somebody who's actually looking to publish that kind of a story um, you're already like past 90% of everybody else who's trying to do it I mean just doing that much of your homework that you use a manuscript your proper manuscript format and submit it to uh, a publication that's actually looking for that story um, yeah I mean that 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 puts you really toward uh, puts put you way in, in front of a lot of people because I can tell you editing editing mountain magic I I deliberately set my uh, You know, set my submission period like about a month before I, uh, a month after I basically (coughs) announced I was doing this and said the submission was going to be a month after because I think it's kind of silly that an editor will say something like, well, we don't want trunk stories. And trunk stories basically, you've written the story, you haven't been able to find any place for it, so a market opens and you just sent it off. You know, and I always thought it's kind of silly for an editor to say I don't want a trunk story, but. You know I'm just now announcing this anthology and and we're out taking stories now well what's what's out there at that very moment the trunk stories but so I, I put it a month in advance, and in that month uh where I wasn't taking submissions, I got a bunch of stories and I got a bunch of poems that were very poorly written uh, that had nothing to do with either Appalachian or magic. they were just again they were these trunk stories somebody had this you know somebody had this uh, zombie story that uh, they haven't been in any little place anywhere else so i got it <coughs> exactly. and you very specific guidelines exactly i mean i wasn't even i was even taking stories at that point you know and um, so i mean i i would say if if you at least do your homework to the to the level of you know doing proper you know putting your manuscript in the proper format doing a little bit of research on your markets and sending them to appropriate markets, I mean, you're already head of, of the game at that point. Jeff, back
2: to the, the the question of what do you see that comes up time and time again with the, not young writers, but younger writers in the, in the craft, what's some of the things you keep seeing problems in, in the craft? Um, a lot yeah,
4: of you know, Yeah, that, I heard, I don't know who said this, but... One of the ways you can differentiate a, a, an experienced writer or a good writer from a bad writer is how, how does a character cross the line. Um, the mundane details of how you how a scene is told, how people move, how much the writer says and doesn't say, you know, uh, tell a lot. But, I mean, look at your books that you think are really well written and see how. Much they actually say versus how much you, what they conjure in your head, because of course you you fill in all the blanks as a reader. And so one of the most common things I see is, I mean, at least working with writers who are not very experienced, is that they tend to say too much. They tend to talk too much about because they feel that they have to. God, then this is a big error you feel that you have to guide the readers every thought about the story. Back off and let them fill in the drafts. One of the things, for instance, that goes in this manual not everyone agrees with this, but I tend to think that the main character in a story is almost always the reader thinks that the main character looks like them. And so I often will leave out description of the main character. I'll leave out most of the <coughs> of the characters, unless there's something, you know, she walks a little limp or, you know, something distinctive. Um, But as far as tall, short, uh, thin, fat, any of those kind of things, I pretty much leave that out, unless there's some telling detail. Because the reader will fill all that in. main character looks like them, the one they hate looks like their brother, you know, I mean, it's just, they've always got all that ready-made in their head and they bring it to the story you don't have to tell them. So don't, in, in line, don't tell the reader how to feel about something. Uh, let the thing stand for itself rather than telling them later, uh, how
2: So you're saying show, don't tell. Well, it's not show, don't tell. Them. Yeah. yeah, it's
4: not... or well, show,
2: don't just...
4: Or it takes a
2: show, don't just tell. Right. Because there are places where you can tell. me if
4: you're doing flashbacks <coughs> or summary and there's all kinds of reasons to tell in a story. But, um, so tell,
7: them the show, and tell. Them. I think most of the story should happen in, inside the reader's own mind. Yeah, you know, it, it's not what they're literally reading off the page. It's it's the little tiny puzzle pieces that they're putting together in their mind. And if the writer's really good, you never see the writer at all. You know, you you don't recognize yeah. them that's, while you're reading it.
2: That's one of the things I try to do. Is I I want to be invisible.
5: Yeah, I find. Um, I work with book discussion groups all across the state, <coughs> and there are so many wonderful collections of short stories. And I am, I am finding out that readers, I have to almost go, you're going to read this book, you know, this collection. Uh, it's, it's, and they don't I, sell. they don't sell, and I don't understand. I mean, I'm looking here. And these sell very good. I'm, yeah. Very well for the sign, was, yeah. right? But
4: if you're Putnam or somebody in New York, yeah, right? You're like,
5: well, I've yeah. ten thousand right. copies. What's that? So, so do any of you all? I mean, do you say I'm going to start with a short story, get my name made, and then you're going to write I that think, novel I think
2: that's what everyone tries what to do. I mean, know. That what you, you know, if, like, that's what you you uh-huh. I'm hope lucky for.
3: I short stories. To me. I mean, there's the fiction. the decent paying short story market uh-huh. I mean, there's not a lot of places that, right. yeah. that pay more than really a token payment there's, uh-huh. there are some women's magazines that, that really pay well uh-huh. but, um, but the, it, it's still you can still sell short stories right. there, there are still places it's just more work mm-hmm.
7: and it's so much easier to, to make a short story good than it is a novel if you have a, a four page short story you can edit it you know in an evening with somebody helping you and, and get it really tight yeah. and really good if I, you've got a I don't five know
2: five I kind of disagree there yeah. I think that disagree. the shorter the story is I think it's the harder that it yeah. is to write I we'll hear novelists it. say that because yeah. I think that it takes a whole lot you have to take a whole lot more and put it into a smaller yeah. pan than yeah. than you could with a, a but novel but those things you that you will
7: learn from those small stories will definitely transfer yeah. over to yeah. a big story
6: yeah. Yeah. and Absolutely, and the thing is, short stories, and I'm, I'm going to use the P word, sorry, but poems are the same way because yeah. of because of the rest- what make what gives poetry its beauty, and in a sense, what gives short stories its beauty is because of the sh- restrictions that it places on on the writer. In a novel, uh, you can ramble all you, you can ramble for pages and pages because you have them. You shouldn't necessarily do that. But you've got the room to do that in a short story or, or or like flash fiction or poetry. You don't have that as an option. It is a lot it, where right right out of the gate, if you're trying to write a novel, it is so much easier to pick up bad habits in storytelling with a novel because you've got you've got all this room to to, to do things the wrong way where. A short story, you have to be concise, you have to be tight your wor- your words your descriptions have to be relevant uh, and not just relevant but have
2: to do more than have one to, have thing. to deal with
6: sto- have to deal with a story that your that your sentences are doing two three different things at right. the same time that you 're not just describing the room but you're descri- describing the character's uh state of mind because of course the way that their their state of mind is going to affect what details they pick out so you're not just talking about the room that they're in but you're talking about the room that your character is in so and, and short stories will force you into that where a novel a novel you, you just remember yeah.
4: although your original question was asking about starting off with short stories and moving the novel I didn't do that at all uh-huh. sudden fiction which I Different thing than short right. stories. A th- uh, right. sudden fiction right. is not a short story with fewer words. It's a, a distinct a genre. Yeah, right. I did a lot of those uh, and then I took on a novel. Uh-huh. Um, and I've never, I've only written a few short stories because I just don't think in those terms. It, right. um, and I think it's a very different, um, a novel's in some ways a very different project. But all the concision, all the things that are being spoken of about not wasting your time, having things do two things at once, all that you can learn with sudden fiction. Um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a good way to start that out. But I, I just find that the novel
2: is much more And the novel and the short story are two different things, too. They're not yeah. They're not th- they're not well, even. It's post. not
5: a shame. Same and and readers are so different, but but I just, I just uh, work working (coughs) with so many groups of readers, I'm just like, you know, read essays, read short stories mm-hmm. to just expand, ex, you know, just don't go into it, it's easy to sell for me it's easy no, to no, sell no, no. somebody a novel. It's easy to sell somebody a good nonfiction book. But it's the short stories and the books of poetry. It's the short story collections, the books of poetry. Except that we've had pretty good success with the collection that I work with. Um for the Appalachian short story fiction, I mean, there's a real—I think our readers in the state are for sort of wanting that. Um, but overall, short stories and poetry, um, those readers seem to be leaving us. Maybe we're not teaching them in school. Maybe they're not getting—I don't know where that lack of appreciation is going. Well,
2: we've we've seen, uh, for instance. 15 years ago you could come in here right. and you could find in genre alone you could find several magazines on the on the the, the rack uh-huh. that had short stories in it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I challenge you to go and find
5: you're not going to well it's you know. just like you were saying the women's I grew up with all kinds of women's uh, magazines they all coming and they, they all had short stories so many authors
6: started that way yeah and, well, and, and part of it, I think, as far as the magazines, is most of the ones that, most of, of the magazines that are doing short stories now, at least in genre, they're, they're smaller press, so they have a little bit of, you know, some of them, some of the larger small press, they can get their, they get their magazines out in stores, but for the most part, they just don't have the distribution to, to uh, you know, good in stores. Looked at there's an essay of short stories
4: that oh, little yeah. bookshelf, that little bookshelf. This is, bookshelf. is fiction, yeah, which is novels, so right? So,
6: yeah,
5: well, the collection that and the 2000 every year they come out mm-hmm. with those best essays, of,
6: yeah, you
5: know. I'm just amazed at that it's it's true that it it's not so popular. It's not popular. Yeah. I mean I fed I people and then or I finally the got book. real snotty and said, <laughs> 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 You
7: will
5: <wait, laughs> read this We like
4: you. by yeah. the way. <laughs> Publishers and <laughs> agents and editors
6: a
5: lot of times so you tell you don't use the word essay right. to describe right. anything you're doing. Because it's yeah. too yeah. It sounds like homework. But
6: and it's true, it's it's very difficult for for a writer to get a short story collection out. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in, in even a small press, they're just not they're just not published you know, publishing them because it's it, you know, it's not just in your situation, it's a lot of the readers are just not really that into collections. Mm-hmm. You know. Reading short, so they want to make a you know, they want to get lost in the world for a while, for a longer time. I think think
7: that might be it, you know, that feeling that I I really want to go someplace, I really want to invest a lot of time and, and Really have that journey instead of just getting a, a little taste or, yeah. or whatever. But yeah. I think a lot of times the short stories can be just <clears> as <throat> complex and. But not all writers can do them. Yeah. well
5: of
2: course not. I've
7: read I've read several great
2: novelists who cannot don't do cannot do short stories. I've se- but then again I've seen some who write short stories who are not very good at doing novels because they're two different things.
6: Yeah.
4: Um, another factor is that apparently in the last year or so, especially. The short story and the novella have been enjoying a surging mm-hmm. reputation, and part of that's mm-hmm. the Kindle, that's yeah, the downloading and yeah. people like to see yeah. it. So we may see in the next five or ten years a huge upswing
5: in
6: those things. Um, but, oh, I mean, I think it's
5: Wonderful.
6: So, oh, I, I, my! My personal opinion, and other people said the same thing, is that uh, that horror fiction, especially in, in novella length, uh-huh. it really wasn't a market for novella, so But yeah, Kindle may change but do that.
1: Woodland Press can be found at woodlandpress.com. Similarly, Michael Noss can be found at michaelnos.com, spelled K-N-O-S-T. The next easiest way to find these links, as well as links to the other panelists, Taylor Books, and some of the links mentioned in the podcast, is at our website, podcast.wvwriters.org. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was assembled atop a hill in Mercer County.